Is that Glock? Well, I'm tripping major nutsack right now. Oh, send it! Welcome to the world of winning. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Switchback Formula 1 podcast. My name is Graham and joining me as always, still stuck to his chair after his Christmas dinner, it's, uh, it's Luke Holmes. Hi. Hi. I wish I was. Because my Christmas dinner was amazing, Graham. Yes, tell me about your Christmas, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could. Speaking of future tense, that would be great, wouldn't it? Uh, my Christmas was good slash great slash okay slash... Mine was full of people. <laughs> New people. New hmm. people. Yeah, but the sounds of it, because we were just chatting before we started here, and... I, w- I, w- I want to ask more details about this because I was, I'm was i perplexed as how you can spend over five plus hours wrapping presents. Like how many people are you seeing? How many presents do you have to wrap? Bear in mind, my parents are divorced so and now both have different partners. So there's two separate sides of the family there. Then I've got my grandparents, my aunties, my uncles. I've got cousins. And then I've got my girlfriend, and I've got my girlfriend's side of the family I need to get things for. Really? And, well, things from us, Graham. Us, in oh, quotations. Oh, right, yeah, yeah you've reached yeah, that Oz. point where you get to tag your name in to the... Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's that. But I've got to wrap it all. That's my uh, partaking of it. She she buys it, I have to uh, wrap it up. Which is fair enough, I guess. I guess that's a fair trade, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, for the first year, anyway. Um... But yeah, there's, there's a lot. My room, you've seen how big my room is. It is not large. No. Uh, just imagine <laughs> all the presents stacked up. I've got presents on top of my wardrobe. My wardrobe is full. You can't move behind my chair. I have to climb over my bed to get to my desk. <laughs> uh, for reference, I would say your room is smaller than most bathrooms. That, and that's without yes. a shower? Yeah. And it's got a double bed chucked in it. Somehow. Yeah. <laughs> a, Just. Bed, a desk. Yeah, it's quite a miracle. It, it's, it's functional. I wouldn't say practical. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's, yes. It's function over fashion. Mm. If you remember that uh, AlphaTauri yes. slogan. Anyways, uh, yes. So happy holidays. I hope you enjoyed your day. I presume we did. <laughs> I would like to say nothing dramatic happened. But... No, I can't guarantee that though. So uh, I'll just, uh, you know, well, uh, where's my where's my wooden desk? There you go. Mm. <laughs> so we'll touch more than that. But uh, gives us a chance this time of year to kind of just catch up on some of the news events from the last few weeks. And between this week and next week, we're going to sprinkle those in, and we're also going to preview uh, the. Or I guess we'll have a look, at, have a review of some of the. Dynamics between each of the ten teams, and I'm going to kind of give them a grade on the season and have a, a look ahead to their next season. Give them that little individual attention this time of year, which you know is yeah. We can we can slander individual members of Alpine this time mm, rather than as a group. <laughs> yeah, we can take some uh, devoted time to this. Not that we haven't already done this at length this year, but it's uh, it's the it's the simple things this time of year, isn't it? And no doubt the conversation will take us in the direction of Pirelli somewhere. So oh, it'll be sprinkled in, yeah. Yeah, the always gift, does. The gift that keeps on giving. But uh, what's that in Italian? I would, I would attempt it, but uh, my Italian is not <laughs> is not strong. No, not not your not your mother tongue. No, it's not my mother tongue. 
can I just say sh- shit in an Italian accent? Because yeah, yeah. sure, that'll be acceptable. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That'll, that'll work. But anyways, uh, the news this time of year, as you'd imagine, is fairly quiet. Although we did get an interesting, uh, almost bumper piece of news in the week. This hasn't been reported anywhere else, so it's very much a. Uh, well, it's actually. It's not even Sky Sports, it's just Sky News, which is uh, the rare... Weird one, isn't it, when it comes to F1? The rare Sky F1 scoop, and I don't mean the big bumper TV deal. But uh, they are reporting that, and I would imagine since they are reporting, you could take this as basically fact, but they are reporting that the Bahrain Sovereign Wealth Fund is gaining full ownership of the McLaren Group. Now, the Bahrain uh, Wealth Fund has been involved with McLaren for a quite a long time now it's going to be at least they've had some part of it for at least mm, tw- i won't say 20 or so years yeah it has it's been, been a, a long while. time because the, the the guy who died a couple of years ago what was his name oh shoot yeah you know who i mean yeah it was, it was around this time last year i think he was very um involved in that side of things with mccarran that's right Oh, I you know I cannot think for the life of me what his name but you was. Know, you know exactly. I know exactly I mean, yeah. who you mean. Yeah, uh, I believe they did have about a twenty percent stake in before. Yeah, uh, this is the uh, the 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 Gulf State Investment Group is called uh, it's called Mum Talakat. Apologies if I'm mm. not saying that correctly, but. Uh, Anyway, so it's obviously it's not been it's been no secret McLaren, especially over the recent years, they've been looking for looking for funding. There has been general general kind of takeover talk. There was chats about Audi. Uh, they sold McLaren. Uh, they sold McLaren Technology as a as a uh, or sorry, as a subsidiary of so to speak. Uh, that was what happened a few years back. Uh, Ron Dennis, of course, since he was out at his offload his stake, of course, since uh, twenty seventeen when. Yeah, he was uh, unceremoniously uh, cast aside. Uh, that was worth 275 million at the time. Uh, McLaren Racing then, as a separate thing, also went. Out. So, like, this, uh, the building was sold, so to speak, as well. So, like, there's been they've over the years, McLaren have been looking for an injection of cash. Obviously, they've invested some of that back in with the new wind tunnel that went up this year. So. What are your thoughts on, I guess, a state-funded takeover? Does it matter at all to McLaren here? Does, does things things just carry on as they were, or how would you see this? Uh, how would you see this uh, particular move? To me, I, I don't think anything really changes much from what I know on like the face of things. Anyway, it's just I think it's more the security of it, isn't it, than mm. anything. There's more the the points of it. obviously McLaren had. The worries a few years ago and then that was all shored up and then there's the potential Audi investment if Audi got a part of McLaren which was the original plan um, but yeah no I, I think McLaren can't really go wrong by doing this to be honest I think it, it's quids in and it'll be able to get more of an investment in the team within reason obviously but having the disposable funds there to maximise the cost gap will be beneficial to them across every, everything really it's not just F1, really. It's sure. you've got the IndyCar project that they really need to kick on with this year. Like that's that's a major thing next year. Um, obviously, after the season of not winning a race, uh, oh, gosh, when you sign yeah. a yeah, when you've got some of the what well, I'd say one of the most talented drivers on the grid, or hot-headed drivers on the grid, shall we say? <laughs> At <the very> least, <laughs> yeah. You think that would need to kick on their extreme H program? Yeah. yeah, 
that needs to kick on a bit because I don't I don't really watch that to be honest. And obviously they entered uh, Formula E last year for the first time. So there's all these projects that are sort of coming to fruition and sort of reaching points where they need to like see serious progress. And now I think with this new ownership, that might be the best way that they can sort of take themselves forward to the next step. So for, to me, this is nothing but a win-win. Yeah, the the uh, excuse me, the article here outlines uh, or at least drops a little bit of some of these elements that you've mentioned. Uh, to, to, to McLaren Racing, the division that which currently houses the F1 and other racing operations, does have its own external shareholders following a deal struck during the pandemic to raise capital. The deal to be signed this week underlines the continued confidence and leadership of uh, Mumtalakash in driving McLaren's turnaround, according to one insider. The Woking-based company's convoluted capital structure has acted as a deterrent to global automotive groups' ability to structure a long-term partnership with it in recent years. Simplifying that structure is likely to pave the way for a technology partnership with an automotive original equipment manufacturer, or, or an OEM as uh, for short. In the coming years, as McLaren transitions towards becoming a hybrid and electrical uh, electric vehicle company. So, yeah. So touching on some of those elements, yeah, like like I was trying to uh, poorly describe earlier, like it, there's a lot of different subdivisions of such uh, of McLaren. It's a, bit, it's a little bit messy, so at least in theory this should at least simplify some of that somewhat and i'm which i don't think a ton really changes no no it'd just be a couple of people changes here and there um and like i say just cash flow more than anything yeah so uh, yeah like, cash oh, is king mm, and look they were quite you know it was quite a bit of a struggle for them during the the pandemic years of sorts uh, of uh, this pandemic years it wasn't, it wasn't lots the, of layoffs yeah I like, I like a lot of teams had to do layoffs because it obviously coincided with not only that but obviously the cost cap coming into uh, coming to effect as well. So, anyways, uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what uh, path that takes of development, if anything. But yeah, yeah certainly a very noteworthy, uh, noteworthy piece, nevertheless. And if they want to give Lando Norris a bumble contract to stay, now they can. <laughs> right, because that doesn't. Another cost cap, so no. offering three hundred million trillion if they wanted to. Well, enticing, I'm well, sure. Not like, not like he needs it. No, I imagine this latest deal had him fairly well compensated. I think he's like the fifth highest paid driver on the grid, from what I've seen floating around on Twitter. Obviously, it's not accurate, but well, I mean, who would be higher paid than him? It's Hamilton. Well, obviously, for... Lewis and Max are yeah. top two. Alonso, Leclerc. That's it. And then who's? And then literally, who's after that? Yeah, it's Lando next. Yeah, I would say it's likely to, like, other than Lando, it's what likely to be science. Yeah, probably. I would guess, but yeah, other than that, so yeah, probably top, top five pay driver on the grid is very much uh, in play, certainly oh, now. Like Russell, you would imagine. I would have thought Russell would be a bit below science. Yeah. Just because of the Mercedes promotion element to it, rather right. science has kind of built his way up, so to speak. Like he didn't have a backer, so to speak, whereas Mercedes was Russell's backer, and at least they could like, hey, you're in one of our cars now. Yeah. Whereas science kind of worked off his own, more off his own back with his performances in McLaren and Renault, so to speak, after leaving the Red Bull stable. Would be my my general thought on that. Mm. So yeah, it'd be interesting how how that uh, kicks on. So. Yeah, speaking of kicking on, obviously we knew Alfa Romeo were are stepping away from a uh, from oh, uh, Formula One, and I forgot about this. <laughs> mm. Well, 
that part you, the part you're mentioning isn't even what I had in mind actually the um, oh yeah sure yeah well do you have you any thoughts on the potentially floated alpha uh, new cyber name going around the the one that rolls off my tongue so elegantly that I can't even remember it that well oh gosh it's like alpha kick alpha mayo steak or something well, you gotta take the alpha mayo bit oh out. shoot yeah you're right damn it i'm gonna oh, take the same game it's, it's it's something kick steak salber salber's at the end i know that is weird mm. no it's what is it kick formula one team steak salber or something like that it's so stupid. Yeah, and then they took to socials to, uh, you know, say that they aren't ready to ready to reveal their name yet. But it, when they do, it'll be uh, I don't know, it'll be fun or something, something to that effect. It'll be I don't know, it, I don't know what they've got cooked up their sleeve. It'll be convoluted, I'm sure. But uh, Antonio Giovinazzi racing. Yeah, to everyone's chagrin. But uh, obviously, Alfa Romeo are moving on as a sponsor and there's an article on the race from Scott Mitchell Malm talking about I guess what cost Alfa Romeo its chance to stay in Formula 1 after uh, after the after the uh, moving away from uh, from Sabro obviously with the Audi stuff so hey, I'm going to read a little bit from this and we'll, we can give our thoughts on it after that uh, Alfa Romeo gave a tried and tested F1 approach a new twist it replicated title sponsorship in the form of a car company this created the image that the manufacturer was involved in Formula 1 and had an F1 team when it, when it was not and did not. It's possible that because Alfa Romeo struck that deal early and Sauber was the right kind of team to target. A neutral, malleable identity that has been bought out before and a wealthy owner, but not one massively utilising their bottomless pockets. So the money was useful too. This deal was also rooted in a time where F1's value in general was a lot lower and Alfa Romeo was able to ride the crest of a way through 2021 into 2022 and 2023, benefiting where others would have barely thought twice about seeking exposure via Sauber. The initial sponsorship morphed into tremendous value for Alfa Romeo, which was able to masquerade as an F1 team for the cup price sum and reported 20 million euros, at least in the beginning, gaining full team identity, lots of activation, and so we've been repeatedly told some Sauber technical support for Alfa Romeo road cars. Sauber feels that the commercial partnership was successful was also a source of tension once Audi decided to buy the team and the deal was always going to end uh, once the bit-by-bit takeover by Audi, another car manufacturer uh, and a shareholder. And it goes on then to say, uh, with the 2023 the end point of the Sauber relationship, the same deal was not on the tail for Alfa Romeo to stay in Formula 1 somewhere else. Well, not by the end of 2023 anyways. There were discussions with Haas, so Alfa Romeo clearly wanted to find something that worked. It would be naive to believe it walked away because the same deal did not appeal, though the suggestion is that's exactly what Alfa Romeo wanted. The idea seemed to be seemed to be to rebrand Haas and ideally pay not that much for it. Certainly not the market price. All that was missing compared to Sauber was the opportunity to assist with the technology projects uh, Aluni, Aluni Bravi mentions, such, as, such that they were. Haas was open to something, but striking a MoneyGram title sponsorship meant it was not desperate and it became clear that the two sides are far apart in what they valued such a deal at. Keep in mind, Haas is a team that has not only sold its title sponsorship to MoneyGram recently, it's a team that over the last few years has been left to fend for itself financially because of Gene Haas's apathy and unwillingness to put money into the team that really needs to be more competitive. Much like Sauber a few years ago, if there's any team on the grid that looked like a great candidate for Alfa Romeo to stay in Formula 1, it would be Haas. 
and Alpha Romeo would not put money where its mouth was and that is now considering alternatives in other categories to create this impression is involved in motorsport when really it is not and is happily arguing it got it all needed out of F1 and did not want to do it just to, just do the same thing all over again mm. so, so a couple of interesting nuggets in that uh, besides the uh, passing swipes at both Alfa Romeo and uh, Gene Haas which I think are both ultimately fair and correct yeah yeah of course uh, but obviously it goes back to the Haas element that was mentioned earlier in the year. Conversations definitely seem to happen. Yeah, is... well, obviously we, we, we spoke about it, didn't we, at the time? When we obviously, on this podcast, we quite hot on the uh, thing of there's no smoke without fire. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, so the talks were had, but yeah, it's interesting that the MoneyGram deal gave has that kind of security that i guess uh confidence in negotiations that didn't have to be bled dry so to speak or have to make like a cut taken to the shops yeah. yeah so yeah but That's surprising though didn't it is realize the moneygram deal was that that extreme i just thought it was like a tireless monster type thing where it'd just be oh we pay a lump sum and then we might disappear next year <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It, it, I mean, it could still end up going in that direction. Yeah, it, it could. It could, but I don't see it because it seems to be, with how prevalent it is on the car, I, will, I wouldn't imagine it would be. And it's literally Tass's main sponsor. They don't have anybody else yeah, apart from Jack Jones, and that's Kevin <laughs> Magnussen's sponsor. Yeah, once he goes, that's it. But yeah, I, I really thought it was a marriage out of convenience that was made to be, but I guess some things just aren't quite the match that you might seem. Williams Alfa Romeo, anybody? <laughs> Ferrari Alfa Romeo? Oh, rolls it right off the tongue, that doesn't it? Yeah, of course. So, but yeah, I thought that was an interesting one. Uh, and we've now known since that article was written, I believe Alfa Romeo are having some involvement in WEC as sponsorship now. Yeah, yeah, of course. So, they're getting what they want out of that at least. And hey, a good time to be involved with WEC uh, in 2023 with the hypercar class. Uh, as 2024. It is. Oh, sorry. Yeah, geez, I'm getting my years all mixed yeah, up. Yeah, it's not like it's next week, Graham. I know, <laughs> I know. It's weird when you say that, isn't it? By the time this podcast really comes weird. out, yeah, it will, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, actually, now I think about f- it, our first podcast of 2024 will be one of these. <laughs> oh, no. I don't know, I what do you mean, one it. of these? I, mean, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a Freudian slip. Don't, don't even talk like that. So uh, these, are, these are all I, recorded on the day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have some devastating news, Graham. Oh, no. Absolutely heartbroken. It's been officially confirmed. Leclerc's out for Ferrari. Yeah, I had this earlier as well. Oh, no. But not the Leclerc we're thinking of. I know. Obviously we're talking about Arthur Leclerc. For all, Arthur Leclerc is no longer part of the yeah. Ferrari Driver Academy. Not, I mean, you'd not have surprising. To, not surprising, but you'd also have to hope that Leclerc has already signed on the dotted line. Well, yeah. You would think so. Because, you know, <laughs> this would, point. wouldn't be the thing I would do before... Uh, before signing the clerk to a, a, an extension would be too. I, I'm honestly surprised that Teo Porcher's name is not on that Ferrari Academy. Give it. Honestly time. surprised. If I was him, I'd have torn torn that Sauber contract up. Absolutely torn it up. Fuck that. Yeah, well we know. Promise, promise me an F1 seat if I won the F2 championship. Now, of course, I didn't win in very good fashion or very, um, what's the word, dominantly. 
mm. like uh, my predecessor Drugovic, who still can't get into F1. No. Um, but I, I would have been like, yeah, I've done what you've asked and you still can't provide. Are you Alpine? <laughs> and um, gone and rang Fred and been like, yeah, Fred, can I get into the Ferrari? And I'm sure Fred would have taken him on, to be honest. Yeah, I think it would have been he at least like got him into like a wet seat. Hey, well, never too late. I mean, there's a third Ferrari wet drive. There, these there days. is, to be fair, there is the third one. So, yeah, that that's it's weird. Be, very weird situation. It'd be very telling year for Porsche this year, won't it? Like, it's not that it's much, like, and none of it's in his control, which is the thing. Like, he's, he's yeah, he's he's, he, he's not really going to have anything to show for it, is he? Really, no. if he doesn't win Super Formula, then. Oh well. Yeah, that he's gonna. Ha- I forgot about that for a second. Like that, that's gonna be have to be the the thing that he does. And if he, if he wins that, then what can they do to say no to not put him in that car at that point? See, it's all we're getting close. I don't to, think he will. The thing is, we're getting close to twenty six. At some point, what at what point I don't know. Seidel and Audi look towards who they want in that car in twenty six, and do they want them there the year before? I'd want him there the year before. You know, if you have an idea he'd like for the if like the first three, four years of your project, then I would try and get them in next year or my, for 25. Yeah, I was just going to say, I would want both the drivers I want in that car for 2026 would be in there for 2025 as well. Yeah, ideally. If, if certainly at least one of them, not just, not just an all new lineup, at least have one returning driver. So... I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see. It's going to be a big year for Porsche in that no, sense. That no, 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 shows how much we actually give a shit about off. Look like that we move straight on to Porsche. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> no, the thing is, I actually like Arthur Leclerc. His race, racecraft, it's fantastic because he's always started in thirtieth. So it's it's or twentieth. So it always made for fun watching, watching him um, uh, go from the back in Austria twice. No, yeah. three times. Sorry, three times. That was the format back then. Oh, they oh, were the yeah. days. Three races a, a weekend. Oh, Jesus Christ! Let me got rid of that. I am and I'm not. I I quite liked it. It's a lot. It's a lot. And certain tracks. Austria was fun. Yeah, it was very fun. Oh yeah. But if you, you three races of that Abu Dhabi, mm, not not quite the same, is it? <laughs> no, not as not as mad on that. Uh, plus, like it's easier to remember race one and race two, whereas you had a third. I'll be honest, race I, in... I struggled to remember one race. Yeah, <laughs> see what I mean. Oh dear. Uh, I want to talk about now a an Alpine related move, and Doc. it's more. Oh my god, Alpine! I know, but it's it's more so the race slandering Alpine, and I'm just here for it. To be honest, I was going to say we have to be here for it. <laughs> yeah, it. Uh, it's from Scott Mitchell, ma'am, talking about uh, uh, Davide Brivio. And the opening yes. line is, a baffling chapter in the recent history of Formula 1's most confusing team is over with the end of Renault's sad misuse of MotoGP favourite Davide Brivio. And the article gives a little bit in context of Brivio, who helped Suzuki win the MotoGP title in uh, 2020, right? It was just 2020. Yes, 2020, out of the blue, against some of the biggest manufacturers in MotoGP. It was completely a shock title. Mm. wasn't like something that happened. Suzuki hadn't won a title for, oof, I want to say at least 20 years. 
So it, was, it meant a lot. And then he obviously left that project to go to Alpine. It was a big name at the time. Yeah, and obviously the brand, the rebrand to Alpine was was happening and for 2021. And Scott Mitchell writes, it was a curious one that felt like, no offence to Brivio, it had not been thought through in the slightest. No, it hadn't. It hadn't at all. Brivio cannot be blamed for taking it on. He was dead excited to get a senior position in F1, had a sincere enthusiasm for the opportunity and came with a fantastic set of credentials from MotoGP. There is no way he could have imagined being undermined the way he was almost from the word go. Even by Renault standards, its team had been through a spectacular amount of upheaval since the start of 2021. Brivio made you want the gamble to work. He was born in Monza, would bike to the track as a youngster, and jump the park's perimeter fence to watch Ferrari test before the Italian Grand Prix. He retained a lot of the fandom that gripped him in his youth, and came across as infectiously enthusiastic in the very, very few glimpses we got of him before Alpine decided he was not going to be a public-facing leader, or, it turned out, a leader at all. But you never believed it would work. Not at Renault. It felt like, early on, that someone, most likely Renault Group boss Luca De Meo, was hiring Brivio on a whim without, no- without knowing what the team was hiring Brivio for. And that meant there was always a fatal gap between the idea of Brivio in the Alpine F1 structure and the reality of it. How else do you explain someone joining as racing director with the supposed responsibility of running the Traxard organisation, then, a year later, being moved sideways into being director of racing expansion projects, a spectacularly nebulous job title with an equally vague remit of overseeing talent identification and development in all categories and leading special projects to aid Alpine explore new motorsport categories. <laughs> right from the start, there were doubts. Cyril Beachbull left and was not replaced as team principal because it seemed the position had been redundant. In his place was nobody. Classic F1 to politics and land grabs ensue for the next two years, at odds with the relatively apolitical Brivio and indirectly at his expense given it poisoned any potential this team had of getting its act together. New, C- New CEO Lauren Rossi cared more by sucking up to De Meo, fortifying his own position, claiming all the credit for the good and making it clear who was to blame for the bad ones. Yep, sounds, sounds like the Lauren Rossi tenure in a nutshell. Executive Director Marcin Budkowski told the media repeatedly that there was no team principal because Alpine did not need a team principal, only to style himself as a de facto team principal on his own LinkedIn page, then get out of it after 2021 anyway. Finally, a new team principal was hired in Otmar Safnar, just as Brivio was moved sideways. But now Safnar is gone, as is Rossi, and pretty much every other senior figure who was at Alpine before Brivio arrived or joined shortly after. Renault's revolving door policy has cost its works team plenty, and Brivio is, in a way, an unfortunate but strong symbol of that. How it managed to turn an exciting left-field hire with a track re- great track record elsewhere into an utterly anonymous three-year stint is an impressive achievement in the worst possible sense. <laughs> that is a great article because it's short, it's concise, it lays appropriate blame at everywhere else other than Brivio, which is exactly how it should be. Yeah, it definitely should be. I don't. I, I, I was honestly like, I was so hyped. I say hyped. I didn't really know much of Brivio, but I was like, okay, that's a nice hire. When I when I saw it happening, I was like, okay, it's just come off winning a world championship and then moves to a new world in F one, and then you hear nothing about him. And then he leaves after the mess has all happened. And he's, 
I, I honestly think he's been done so dirty. Oh, it's so wasted dirty. three years of his career. Yeah. And I'm, I mean, he's no spring chicken. Either. He's, he's in his 50s, at least. Um, Could be young enough in the management. Yeah, of course. But, you know, I mean, it's three years. It's three years, isn't it? It's, yeah. He could have been somewhere else. He could have been at, like, Williams or something. Which I think would have been a better fit. Well, anyway, anywhere anywhere would have been the better fit, yeah. You know, exactly. I, I honestly hope he lands on his feet somewhere else. If he goes back to MotoGP or goes to somewhere in WEC or something like that, honestly, there's a great, great team leader in there. He was just... Ambo, Alpine fumbled the bag with him, honestly. Now, not necessarily putting him in charge of the team, but at least having him in a position of power and at the forefront of the team anyway. Should have been the move. Because... He should have been in the frame for TP. Yeah, like after, what after were you Cyril. hiring him to do? Yeah. After Cyril left, Bukowski was the wrong person to put in charge. If he was always going to get rid of him or he was going to leave anyway. Um, uh, to be honest, I don't as, think it mattered who was in charge. It's, it's, it's no, just, that's it's what just, I was going to say. Just it literally, it doesn't matter. That, that team, as we've alluded to all year round, is toxic from top to bottom. Um... And will always be that way because they're so up their own arse. It's, it's, it's ridiculous how much they're up their own arse and they see nothing wrong with what they do. Absolutely nothing wrong. Um, Luca De Meo can go fuck himself, if, if I'm honesty. Flash forward to six months' time, we've been invited to the British Grand Prix by Alpine <laughs> and Luca De Meo strikes man and then tells me to get out and plays the clip back to me. <laughs> that would be funny. But I'd be like, well, I'm going to leave, Like, unlike most other people do in your team. Oh, wait, they do. They always leave. They always leave. <laughs> yeah, look, it's just compl- like it just signifies what, Al- what that whole group has been ever since. I don't know what happened at the end of 2020. Like, it was... Yeah, they were going so well. Do you know what I mean? Like, we had, like, they were back <laughs> on the podium. You know, obviously, I know Ricardo obviously spurned them for McLaren and all of that. And, but, that, like, that was the start of it. You know, between that and then Cyril leaving, and I don't know, like it's just like it—it's like a point in history and time where it's like I can identify where this began to just decline massively, and whatever it was at the end of 2020 that made it go from Renault to Alpine, Ricardo to McLaren, a beat bull out the door. I don't know what happened after that, but it's been a complete and utter shambolic joke since then. It's old. Now we get a play of amusement out of it. Don't get me wrong, but. It's it's almost it is sad in so many ways what this is what they're just a complete mismanagement laughing stock. It's just horrific. So the easiest comparison I can give them is they are the Manchester United of Formula One. Because they haven't won anything for Donkey's years, apart from one race, which was a complete fluke. Mm. They've got management and they've got no fucking clue what they're doing. Owners though have got no clue or interest in what they're doing. The, the interest being the main thing because hmm. Man United's owners don't care and obviously Renault are just there as an advertising exercise it's not actually they, they said this themselves yeah it was never, Adrian Newey was talked about this recently we talked about these those those comments basically when we talked about the engine yeah it was this is never a thing to win in Formula 1 it's just purely to get the Alpine slash Renault name out there which is fair I guess but if you're doing something, then you do it 100%. Don't half-heart it, mess people's lives up, and and just just be shitty. 
it's they're, they're so bad at doing things. I can understand them sacking people if there was a genuine reason for it, but like some of the people they've got rid of in the last twelve months is absolutely ludicrous. And the way obviously we we were very hot on the old Oscar Piastri situation, the Fernando situation, mm-hmm. all that was a complete laughing stock. Um has gone down as one of the most legendary moments in Formula One history for a team getting absolutely fucked over by themselves. Yeah. And will forever be in my heart as a moment of absolute pure joy. The Fernando Alonso posting the photo of him smiling <laughs> with the thumbs up, you know exactly what photo I mean. Yeah. When he's in Madrid, just as it all it's all just kicking off and he just posts a photo with a thumbs up and I'm just like, yes. Fernando, you know exactly what you're here for this as well. <laughs> Do you remember as well earlier in the season where like I think there's a Sky Sports interview with one McLaren's and there's the moment where they the race where they jumped ahead of Alpine in the standings and Alonso's heard the question in the background, he's smiling from ear to ear. <laughs> so funny. Uh, it's like it's just a complete mismanagement of people. Like it's just so bad how they've mistreated and mishandled their their people like Alan Prost for instance uh, obviously their but drivers that, that was a big one I don't understand that one why would you piss off someone who's got so much experience in the sport and is a winner with Renault no less yeah he's a French icon uh, I, don't, I don't understand it it's just I couldn't understand if he was a bit of a twat but I don't get that impression from Alan at the, all not these days anyway no, no, that was different when he was racing. That was that was different. That's adrenaline. I understand that. Um, you do things in the moment, of course, but he he had an F one team for God's sake. You can. So, for the four time world champion, one of the most successful drivers to ever participate in the sport, and would be for a difference of maybe three points in total, would be a seven time world champion. Yep, That's- which is. Uh, a nutty start when you actually think about it. Because I think he lost. I think he lost a title by half a point. Yeah, I don't know if it was to louder or not, but like, I like he's a he's a red legend not just for your your team because he raced for Renault back in the eighties, and I I don't know if he won a title with Renault or not, but he definitely won races. Uh, he is a French motorsport icon. Like, forget all. Of, like, forget the Renault stuff. He's just for your nation. He literally he has he still is the greatest French and world we'll driver be. yeah until unless Gasly turns into a four time world champion or something then yeah no I'll, unless you need someone like Victor Martins to really kick on that's that's the next one isn't it really you, like you'd have to like it's it's this is the like this is the caliber of person you deal with and you completely mismanage him and piss him off and burn that bridge uh, with this current uh, regime so there's that have fun with that shit uh, you the two pillars of stability in the midst of turmoil uh, with their respective teams Ockmar uh, Safnair during Racing Point and Alan Permain with that group for 30 or whatever years and mm. you decide it's these guys that need to go and you don't give you sat, you get you off Rossi great good choice and then you off Safnair in the same like I I do not understand how logic how the logic has escaped there and to think Permain is part of the problem like for goodness sake this team has been through more rebrands than I can count and Permain's always been there he is a stable position like he's a stable figure he is a figure that can I believe galvanise the 
people who work within that team at the track side and you decide that he's the one to go as well and piss over his uh, his contributions for the last how many years. So I don't know. It's just complete mismanagement. And Brivio falls into the same category here, just complete mismanagement of people. And you mentioned Manchester United. The other element of it, they think they're so much better than they really are. And Yeah, yeah, that was my other thing. It's the the... the the belief in themselves that they are so, so good. It, the the start to the Drive to Survive episode, where it all kicks off with Fernando, where you've got um, like the classical music and like you feel like you're, you're, they're trying to portray the image of you living in luxury and like they're above everybody else. It, it literally like spelled it out perfectly for me how they think they are in the public eye. When in reality, the biggest laughing stock in all of sport, to be honest, not just motorsport. They're just so clever about their own hubris, like, and they've got. Like, I hope this year was a serve to remind them of that, and but likely it won't because the same people are well, mostly in charge. But anyway, well, I don't know. Probably, probably get rid of half the team over Wintergram, you know. Well, imagine. I mean, I mean, would want to jump ship? I would. You know that could down a ball for work for a Formula Two team. I would happily go from Alpine to Williams, honestly, and be happy and be pleased about that. I would go from Alpine to fucking PHM Graham. <laughs> That's what it says. I think I would have a much happier relationship with my working life, working at PHM, under no pressure to finish higher than twenty first on a twenty two car grid. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> Uh, embarrassing. And we've not even got to. <laughs> no. <laughs> just spent ten minutes ranting and raving about him. We're going to do it all over again. Yeah, that's this, that's just the off-track stuff. That, that one definitely has to go in one episode of the Alpine. Oh. We get Alpine has to go in another. Oh dear, so bad, so so bad. The Piastri thing is the legacy thing. Like a lot, like the mismatches of Alonso is one thing. Like you decide arbitrarily, like you you, you know Alonso's done after this year essentially, and you can put him into Weck. Yeah, nice one. But the Piastri pants pull down thing is just, I think, so much funnier to me. It is. Oh dear, oh dear. Yeah, and I love that Oscar had the balls to do it. It's so funny. I loved it. Like. He was also completely mishandled in that situation as well. Opmar was talking about that recently. He said they could have taken it further, and then people above him said to let it go. It was, yeah. just, a, it was, it was just a lost cause, wasn't it? Just no oh. point. It's more public embarrassment. Oh, I mean, they haven't been through any of that since last year, have they? <laughs> Alpine embarrassment? No. Uh, and I'm glad the, the 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 general media are not afraid to slander them these days for their absolute shiteness. You know, rightfully so. Of course, it's it's warranted. It's absolutely deserved. It needs to be because someone needs to tell them. Because I'm sure Lequeep, I'd imagine Lequeep slander them, mm. with them being the biggest French sport uh, publication in France. Speaking of Lequeep, did you know that? Uh, did you see some of the comments that Jean Todorit made recently? I think it was. I did Lequeep. not. I think I think it was Lequeep he was talking to. I might have seen something about him saying something on Twitter, but I didn't actually read it. Yeah, so Jean Taz was having a chat with, I, think, I believe it was surprise, with Lequeep, surprise. Uh, obviously former FIA uh, president uh, before Mohamed Ben Suleyem. What and... left-wing political thing does he want to happen now? <laughs> well, he was actually talking about it. Remember we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, I think, about Suleyem was talking about the financial hole, basically, that he was left in. 
uh, when he had to take over. Yeah. Uh, well, to surprise of no one, uh, Jean Todd has kind of pushed back on this. Uh, <laughs> of so this is what Suliem said. He said, when I came, we had financial issues for four years in the past. How can I run the FIA? It's impossible. And then Todd's response claimed that the FIA would have disappeared entirely during the coverage years of 2020 to 2021 without F1 being to operate in spite of its, the limitations imposed by the pandemic. He also claimed that he left the FIA with 250 million euros in reserves compared to the 40 million that were there when he joined in 2009. So, uh, yeah, so immediately pushed back on, on that. But then he basically went on to talk about, you know, he knew the character of the person he was taking over from in office and he wasn't surprised. <laughs> so he did mention briefly, this piece on is on the race.com from uh, Ben Anderson and Ed Straw going through some of the scenarios and the, some of the figures involved. And there's, it's not, they're not really too important to, uh, to get into, but the, it was Lee Keep, yeah. Uh, I'll read out this part because Todd talked about this part in particular. Uh, Todd also claimed to have uh, multiplied by almost three the federal budget and added new streams of income through Formula E, World Endurance Championship and cross-country rallying, though we can see that expanding the FI's workforce from less than 80 to more than 200 added costs, as did the FI's innovation fund, which Todd admitted might have been a little too generous. FI accounts do show its operating loss grew to 24 million by the time Todd left office, though of course it is possible to operate at a loss without dipping into those reserves, Todd mentioned. Nevertheless, as the FI's response backs up, there's an insistence from the current regime that finances were unsustainable. And then an, out an outstanding lawsuit over the patent for the halo is something Todd absolutely didn't dispute, but he did dispute Ben Silliam's claim to have, quote, never been told, end quote, of this and other potential liabilities. He said it wasn't swept under the rug. It was well documented and monitored. We presented it to the Senate and the World Council before I left, and the current president attended this presentation. This was a lawsuit brought in Texas by an engineer who owned a patent that was only valid in the United States for a short time. So when I left, there was nothing secret and, and only one ongoing case, that one. But I wasn't surprised. I knew who my successor was. I know the character. So, yeah, um, there's been a few swipes between Todd and Suleim in, in the media now. And very interestingly, Todd talked about Michael Massey as well. Oh, and uh, he mentioned how the FI has been turned upside down. And the article reads, uh, having, slightly, uh, having slightly disingenuously claimed he starts, quote, from the principle that when one chapter closes, another one opens, and we do not allow ourselves to attack its predecessor, end quote. Okay, fine. You're having a pop at Max Mosley, but you have no qualms about letting rip on the bloke who came after you? Todd pointed to the improved deal he secured for the FIA in terms of its income after Formula One. He also mentioned gaining a stronger share of the vote for FIA and F1's modern governance before then claiming, quote, everything that was put in place during my mandate was turned upside down, end quote. This he called, quote, factual, and claimed that since Massey stepped away from race management in F1, quote, the whole organization has been turned upside down, end quote. Todd makes a clear inference that Massey was scapegoated for the Abu Dhabi 2021 debacle, describing him as a, quote, very good professional who produced impeccable work over the years, end quote, and arguing a championship can be lost in the last race when questioned over suggestions Massey might be brought back into a frontline role by Ben Sulayem. 
Todd also describes the apparent t- attacks on his tenure by Bensalem as smoke. So it doesn't matter to me. There's no point launching these allegations, especially when though when they are false. So <laughs> I take that as a lot of he said, he said kind of thing. Yeah, I was going to say, it seems like a lot of playground shut to me. Yes. I do, I do sort of understand what he's saying, though. With, I, I, I'm not. I'm not a fan of Ben Surly. I'm the more and more I hear about him, the more and more I start to dislike him. Yeah. Good. Well, this this comes off the back of uh, Fred Vasseur at his end of at the at Ferrari's end of year lunch media availability that they do every year. They didn't do it last year, obviously, after the whole Bonato thing. Um, but uh, Vasseur called it embarrassing, and yeah, F1 and the whole. He said it's quite embarrassing for our sport. Was what he said. Yeah. I wanted to ask you because it feels like we're rumbling in this direction more quickly than I think was envisaged. Is Ben Silliam's position as FIA president getting close to untenable? Because it feels yes. like it's heading in that direction. Honestly, it's one controversy away from being bust yeah. at this point, isn't it? I think the teams are fed up with him, to be honest. It's um, now a point where one thing goes wrong and he's gone, unfortunately. And I think there's plenty of, of better people who could replace him. Not to name any names, but there is a lot of people that who have been kicked out of Alpine. <laughs> that, um, not to think of one person in particular who I would think would be perfect for this kind of role because he knows the ins and outs of everything. Um but I think it'd be a bit of a jump going from his position at Alpine to chief of to president of the FIA. But it's um, I I think if they're gonna make a change, then I would do it personally before the season starts in any category. But that's not gonna happen, is it? Realistically, um, well, he's not so, gonna be yeah. removed from office. It's gonna have to be his decision. And like you say, it is. I think we're one. I I think he will be removed from office. You know. But what's because it? there'll be that much backlash if another thing comes up that's controversial, which there probably will be because it seems very left wing. Um, Who has the power to remove them though? Is the is the thing? Um, well, I don't know. That's the thing. I think it's going to have to be like a... Luca de Mer. <laughs> oh gosh. Well, I, I imagine they have some form of say in it. You, you would think anyway. Well, the teams well, don't, and I don't, and F one doesn't either, but. They can make life difficult by refusing to deal with the FIA, and obviously there's been some breakaway talks and all of this, and they can threaten that. And I've, yeah, I I've, I've seen that sort of pop up again recently. Yeah, uh, uh, that that was obviously the talk of the town back in like the 2000s, 2010s, and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah like the photo, the Formula One Teams Association. Yeah, and obviously that wouldn't be good, but if it was to try and get an FIA president out. Then I think teams would sort of push that way again if they were trying to do it to suit their own agenda. Because obviously, as we found out with the whole Andretti situation, everybody's out for themselves. Yeah, but also like I think there's enough support within teams now and the F1 themselves that they just do not see eye to eye with Suleim. They there's been a constant disagreement and bushing of heads over how things are man- managed and handled and all of this. And I think you're right. We're heading, we're one controversy away. Uh, from it would have to be a big contra- controversy, like right? not not nostalgic. 
he he was, had a photo with an underage girl type. No, no like not like that. But like I like, like if it, he does anything like this again with like the whole wolf situation, then yeah, I'm talking like that whole Suzu Ball situation again. That if that gets mishandled again, then something like that. Then uh, definitely, yeah. Time for the chop, personally, because I think there'll be so many people coming after him. So many people. He hasn't got many friends left. <laughs> no. Uh, so put Ross Braun in charge, man. The person I think should be it should be should be Alex Verts. Yeah, I could. Well, Seb, I think, is a little too soon, but I yeah, think no. Verts is a nice intermediary between F one team. You talk about Charlie Verts, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's in F now. He's going to be in an F one seat conveniently after uh, Alex is appointed yeah, imagine. FIA president. But like Alex Verst has been around long enough. He's obviously their former F1 driver. He's very much involved in the FIA and liaises with the drivers and teams. I think he's still was head he of president? the. I think he is still president of the Grand Prix Drivers Association. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say. So you know, but like he's an institutionalized person at this stage. Like he's part of the furniture. I think he would be a a logical choice. And I, I have quick. I know we went through our predictions last week, but. Uh, this time next year, we're both agreeing that Ben Sillyem is not president of the FIA, and if he is, we're surprised. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't see him there, so it won't be a surprise to me. Yeah, I, am I honestly, I, I think it it'd be better for everyone if he was to move on, even for himself. Because I don't, I don't think it was a popular appointment in the first place. Never no. mind. Well, I mean, um, I don't know much about his opponent, Graham Stoker. No, but it's hard to imagine he would have been worse than this. Yeah, but that's not impossible. I don't know. Yeah, I d- you I d- just have to look at Alpine. I think yeah, there's there's always worse. Like I I don't know what God, the... I'm, I'm really really slandering them today. <laughs> I don't know what the I don't know what Stoker's agenda was when he was up for the vote, but anyway, apparently not a good one. <laughs> if Bensley and him to it, then <laughs> yes. Yeah, you know what I mean. It can't be that good, can it? So. Oh, dear. Well, then again, if you talk the right people up and treat them right to get your way in, then sometimes it it works out that way, doesn't it? Uh, uh... Maybe, maybe. If I did get one thing right this week, though, they have form- they formalised their right review stuff that we talked about. So that's a, that's a that's a that was a good step. Oh, f- fucking time. Yeah, I know. So amongst many other things. Oh <laughs> uh, dear. So with that, then let's take this time now to go over the 10 teams because again we'll split this across the two weeks this week and next week we're going to discuss the 10 teams the drivers some of the things that happened this season and then look to next next year and kind of because since you know since one of the advantages of the grid being exactly the same we can effectively preview in parts or predict some elements uh, within each team so with that in mind, we're going to go in championship order and we're going to have, it's going to be the top and the bottom. So it'll be Red Bull. Working towards the middle, basically. Yeah, essentially. So it'll be Red Bull and then Haas. And then it'll be Mercedes and then, do, 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 do. who finished Alpha. ninth? Alfa Romeo. And then we'll finish then, uh, we'll start the next podcast then with Ferrari and then we'll finish with another bottom team in this episode, which will be the... Uh, Alpha Tauris, I believe. So, let's start with them. Red Bull, obviously. Uh, well, I mean, I mean, twenty-two. Uh, sorry, uh, twenty-one Three. race wins. 
Oh, I thought he was going to buy. <laughs> yeah, then I was like, are you sure you know what you're talking about? <laughs> you said 22, 21. And I'm like... <laughs> so, yeah, there's a lot of 20s involved. Uh, 21 yeah. race wins, of course, 14 pole positions, uh, 30 podiums between the two drivers, uh, just two retirements, uh, both on Sergio Perez's side, 11 fastest laps, multiple sprint, ra- uh, sprint race wins, uh, four for Verstappen and one for Perez. Obviously, they created one of the all-time, if not the greatest F1 car of all time. So they decimated the competition. Verstappen scored enough points on his own to outscore all the other drivers uh, behind. Or sorry, all the other teams behind him. Let alone in combination what they did. In combination, they outscored the nearest team to them. Essentially, uh, like all like other teams behind them combined. In some cases, a level of success that is almost unprecedented in Formula One. So, I mean, looking back on their year, obviously, it, there's not a massive amount to say in terms of Verstappen's side of things. <laughs> yeah, literally. Like they, and like you mentioned earlier in, in, in this podcast, like the very few strategy elements that went, that ever went wrong, so to speak. Yeah. So, they never do because Hannah Schmitz is an absolute goat of the strategy. Yeah, and her strategy team. Let's let's also just not say it's not just Hannah Smith. It's the team at back at hmm. Rebels base as well. They're like they're consistently the best in pit stops. Even though McLaren had the, the world record. Even in the dark, Graham. Even in the dark, that's right. Yeah, Even... that that was mental. Absolutely mental. Pitch black, and they still did a sub three second pit stop. Yeah, incredible. Like, couldn't like... even see the bloody car. No, it pure pure darkness. So like they continue to set the standard for. All the teams across the uh, across the field. So, how how much do you want to assess things twenty twenty three wise? I would almost rather look at the year ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, we basically you've literally listed off their successful year. There isn't much to to really talk about in that sense because what could they have done more except winning Singapore to have the perfect season? Yeah, literally, like there's that and like Verstappen completely demolished Perez. Like there's yeah. If, if Max had won in uh, Baku and Saudi Arabia and won in Singapore, then Jesus Christ, well, that is literally the perfect season from. Yeah, that's driver. what I mean. There isn't much more he could have done. He no. he had the greatest season of all time, individually. Could have retired from Formula One in Belgium altogether and still won the championship. That's the mad thing. Like he could have not turned up after the summer break. And... They, they could have had a shootout for the second Red Bull seat with still, <laughs> while still having Perez in the car and having other drivers in the in the other car yeah. and still win the championships. It is so ludicrous that that is a possibility in yeah. this day and age of modern Formula 1 where things are bought into, and put into place to stop this level of domination from happening. And it's still happening because of the brilliant minds at Red Bull. That have absolutely nailed the rules and regs for this generation of cars from the from the get go. When people thought they were slacking and fully focusing everything into twenty twenty one, little did we know, this was just the beginning. Yeah, of the uh, the domination to come. Yeah. That, now, go on. That's what I say. That just makes what makes it all this so much more impressive. Was that the work done for this was done in twenty twenty one, and everything that was going on through that, like it is quite remarkable. Yeah. Now, do I think this domination will continue in 2024? No. Well, Christian Horner certainly believes it won't. There'll be a 
he believes there'd be a big convergence in the field. Yeah, I'm I'm fully on board with the idea that they'll be at the front. I'm yeah, I'm uh, yeah, I well yeah, they, they, they of course will enter the season as favourites, strong favourites. Yeah, yeah, they, they have to. Um, do I think they'll win the title? Probably, likely. Yeah, I'm like seventy percent sure they will. Will Max win the drivers' championship? Probably. Do I think they're going to walk the field and lap every single car? No, not really. Well, they didn't this year, to be fair. <laughs> no, they didn't. That that isn't a thing anymore. It, you're not 2020 levels of Mercedes where you're basically lapping up to sixth place. Yeah, pretty much, essentially. Because you're just that far in front, finishing 50 seconds in front. But that's not the most dominant car in Formula One history. But whatever. In terms of actual pure pace and gaps and stuff. Well, you could even go back to the 96 Williams if you want to go over there. Like, that would literally lap up to like even third in some instances. Yeah, I, I saw a graphic. What was it the other day? It was um, it was on a TikTok, in fact. It was someone sort of saying, you think F1's dominated now by Red Bull? Would you really want to go back to 2020 in pre-2020? When we had gaps of up to three seconds in Q3. Oh, stop! Like you talk about some of the like gaps in the nineties with like Williams and in the eighties and such. Like some of the gaps are enormous between first and second. Like it's not. Like, at least on Saturday we had competition. Like it wasn't even close sometimes in qualifying back back in the day. Yeah, this, this year has been one of the better years for qualifying. Well, last year sorry was basically one of the better years for qualifying. No, we're still in twenty three with this one. <laughs> yeah, you, you know what I mean. Last season. <laughs> yeah. Pardon me. Um, I, I, I am full on it, under the impression Red Bull will be put under the cosh a little bit more this year. Uh, this season, my mm -hmm. God. I, yeah. I don't see them dominating to the levels of this because that season will never be matched. Yes, I think ever. I can make a bold prediction that they won't win 21 races in 2024. If they do, then... Fair play. <laughs> I'm going to eat my house. Yeah. It's not even my house, it's rented, so... I will have to pay a big bill to my landlord. So that, you're that, that would be great. At least, yeah. I am that confident. Mm. If they, if Max somehow is on what sixty-five wins or whatever by the end of next year, then Jesus Christ, we are in for a a long-ass season. But well, I'd argue, like, well, if, assuming he, like, let's just say he does the same thing next year. Say, say, say he does win there nineteen races. That puts him on seventy-three. Do we think then it's absolutely? Do we? Is next? We'll look at the 2024. Is next season the year that decides whether Verstappen will be F1's all-time race winner or, or have the record for all-time race wins or not? No. Because if he ends next year with 73, then I think it's guaranteed he will break that record. Mm, I disagree. Okay. As Sebastian said, nothing is forever, Graham, in Formula 1. True, we do have the 26 regs to come as well. That's what I mean. That's what I mean. And you've got Red Bull going off on their own. That's what worries me to that, right, for yeah, that record. I still think that's a massive risk, but... Yeah, it is a huge risk. Mm. No, I'm fully confident Red Bull can be at the front, but I don't think they'll have the, the pace in that engine to win at that point. But that's a conversation for 2025's off-season. <laughs> mm. Um... um Gary, Gary Anderson had a very has a great article on the race, and he goes through each team's performance in 2023. And in it, he gets the super time of a car over one lap. So, okay. uh, 
he converts the fastest single lap of each driver into a percentage of the outright fastest lap of each weekend. This is an average over the whole 22 race season, meaning if you were quickest every single weekend, your super time would be 100%. And we, we talk about that in terms of like what the super time and like 100% and what teams are within that of. And of course, there's a 107% rule, for instance, which everyone yeah. has to qualify within. Of course. The FI have privy to that information. And then Gary Anderson creates then a table covering the full season performance and focusing, focusing, and he also does one focusing on the last six races heading into 2024. The percentage between Perez and Verstappen. Hmm. So if Red Bull, whose percentage is 100.1. Verstappen is 100.140. Ridiculous. Perez is 100.9. That is an enormous. Like, I know it's seen. It's less than a, like that, but that is an enormous gap between the two. It, it is ridiculous. When we go through some of these other percentages, you'll see how ginormous that gap is. So, the difference between the two of them is is a chasm. Uh, to to repeat that phrase. Hmm. So, looking at Perez then across the year and heading into twenty twenty four, obviously it started so well. And then come Monaco, the wheels literally were beginning to fall off. <laughs> and he went on this very weird stretch where Alex Albon made more or the same number of Q3s in a period than Perez did in the Red Bull. Jesus Christ. Which was very, very bad. Now, I would say confidently from Qatar onwards, Perez absolutely began to book this trend. He was no longer the joke. He steadily... Uh, over a, you know, a period of six to seven races had a trend of improvements all the way to the end of the season. So I think heading into 2024, I think he's trended in the right direction, but I'm afraid I think he is a dead man walking when the term comes to his Red Bull seat. I think everyone knows that this is the 2024 will be the last hurrah for Perez and Red Bull. It's year four, You've got Ricardo, and even if you don't have Ricardo, I'm sure they'll do something else for a year. Uh, perhaps you're basically. You, I even give Sonoda a trial. At the, you know, if if not, if Ricardo, if you're so sure Ricardo isn't the right option for 25, I just give Sonoda a year. Feck it, like, and if he works, he works. If he doesn't, he doesn't. Then always give him like the Felipe Massa placeholder Ferrari for 2006, because you know Raikkonen was coming yeah. for 07. You knew that. And, but like, you have nothing to lose by getting the, you know, somewhat erratic Massa at the time in. Hmm. And if it doesn't work, then you say, right, well, you know, you can go back to being our test That's driver right. or whatever, or you go somewhere else. But you know, you're losing very little. And if it works out, then great. And as it worked out, you know, he won many races with Ferrari. He did. Almost won a title. Maybe he still won, technically wins a title, depending on how you view things. Yeah. But I think we can all agree that. 2024 will be Perez's last year at Red Bull. So, yeah, that makes it, it would tough. Make sense because it almost a retirement. Do you think? No, no. I'm in the on the board of retirement. Go out on a high, if you if there is a high. <laughs> I think he'll sidestep into an Audi gig. You think an Audi gig? Okay. If he was to stay into F1, personally. I see him going back to home. My see, 
my heart that would, would say mean, that, but that does include some circumstances going his way. Yeah, that would mean Strollers move aside. I, I think they would be happy to have a Perez Alonso there. Perez would be the stable number two for a year um, whilst Alonso is there and then become the de facto number two when they bring in a marquee driver when Alonso leaves. And then Perez probably retires after the end of the second year. Um, See, if he was to retire, then... Jeez. That'd be a rough way to go. It would be a rough way to it, go. It would be a rough... Get kicked out of Red Bull and then he thinks, feck it, I'm done. Unless he went to a different form of motorsport. Which I don't see happening at this point either. Well, unless he wanted to go and do like Indy or go and do WEC or something like that and try and do something a little bit different. I could see him doing WEC. Maybe eventually, yeah. Yeah. Doing what most of the drivers do. They would end up in endurance racing somewhere along the lines. I mean, Button um, just got back, so... Ooh. In the Jota. Oh, shouts to our boy Cam Eilosh in the Jota as well. <laughs> yeah, big lineup. There. A good, good landing spot for all things considered. Come on. As a winner, I think, in that, personally. It's like he won't have IndyCar options next year when the driver market yeah, actually no. has a chance for him. IndyCar, potentially F1 options. I wouldn't go F1, but... In a reserve role, 100%. I'd choose a full-time Wecker IndyCar drive over an F1. Yeah, driver. no, as shared duties, obviously. Maybe, yes, yes, please. Yeah, that's what I mean. Um, yeah, the Perez thing with Aston Martin, I just think the timelines are wrong. I think I They only, are, they are. I only it would take a lot. Like Alonso's not moving on right now, and neither is Stroll. And it, you could like the science, a science thing, uh, which we may or may not talk about next week, <laughs> makes, makes some sense. sense a year later. But so or, soon, I'm not sure for Perez. Or the album angle makes more sense for Aston Martin if they were to get rid of Stroll. That is, yeah, that type of a young, hungry driver to uh, well, young, hungry driver. That they haven't got right now would uh, make more sense than going for an old, probably one of the oldest ever lineups in F1. <laughs> It'd be up there, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, it would be because Alonso would be 43, Three, I believe. And Perez would be what, 34? Probably about that. So, yeah. Yeah, so combined age of nearly 75, 78. Mm. Jesus Christ. Um, but yeah, it's. I, I'll be very surprised if Perez manages to turn it around. I kind of hope he does because I, I have moments where I like Perez, but I also have a lot of moments where I don't like Perez. This year, like I loved the, the Perez redemption stuff in 2022. This year was just so damaging. I I liked it when he took it to Max at the start of the year. I love I was loving it. Yeah, I didn't like it from a media standpoint. I liked it from a Perez on track standpoint. The media was like, "Who's Perez in the fight for the championship?" No. I could have told you that from day one. Did I enjoy him winning some races? Of course I did. Absolutely, I love it. Like I love seeing an informed Perez. It's fantastic. An informed Perez and having to push Max to the max. Yeah, or they like, can't sit back and chill for twenty seconds up mm, out front. Or those Perez Leclerc battles, for instance, we saw in twenty two yeah, yeah. a little bit. I was obviously we saw in Vegas. Great fun. Yeah, I'm all for Perez if he's at the front in the fight that's fine I will more than happily give him another year in, on, but that would probably be the last of it out the door to the left yeah, <laughs> yeah. no he, he will be lucky to get a year extension he would be lucky to get that and I think he and he won't find out until late late in the season very very late 
Yeah. Or it'll be done by Belgium. Well, it's how much, like, it's, well, what Ricardo we're getting, and if what, like, what Perez we're getting, what Ricardo we're getting, and it's, less it's... than what Sonoda we're getting. Well, it depends, doesn't it? It depends if Sonoda detaches himself from the Honda project. Because that's a possibility. I doubt he would. Very much doubt he would. That would be a sin, I think, <laughs> in Japanese culture for him to do that. Um, and, yeah, like you say, it depends on what Rebels Juniors are doing as well. Because you've also got to think of Rebel will probably want to have Alpha Tauri or the Racing Bulls, shall we say. Um, have a clean slate. Mm, well, we'll see it for loss, and we know that much. Yeah. Clean slate for 2025. So, yeah, which it will be. There will be. There is. There is one seat to be had there. There's again. There's I will, definitely one. I will Whether bet it's my house that neither Ricardo or Sonoda will be in, in a racing ball in 25. Not a chance. Yeah, if anyone's going to be there, it'll be Sonoda. If the two out of the two. Yeah, and that absolutely. I am like 90 percent sure that won't happen. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. So it's a big year for Perez ahead. Uh, obviously, it, he needs it to go better than it did in 2023. And it, to be fair, it can't go much. Do you know what I mean? Like Grand Prix head-to-head. I'm reading from Motorsport.com. They have the head-to-heads up 20 to two in Verstappen's favor. Qualifying head-to-head 20 to two as well. So you know, it 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 cannot. It if it can if it if it does go worse, I'll be impressed. <laughs> yes. Uh, and then very quickly for Verstappen side of things for 2024, I mean, we'll just we'll see, we'll just need to see who his contenders are, if any, and that's it. Yeah, 2024 means championship number four. It would be potentially, yeah. 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 I would like to see it, but at the same time, would also like to see someone else win. So, I mean, obviously, I'm yeah, I have my own agendas. Mm-hmm. So is there anything else you'd like to add on Red Bull either for 23 or for heading into 24 at all? No. I think we're good. Let's move then to the other end of the spectrum, to Haas. Haas It is weird, isn't it? Completely flipping this spectrum. When you go to from something that has been literally the definition of the perfect season to what I would consider a complete mismatch of op- op- operations. Yeah, a team. A lack of understanding. Funding. Funding. Team members pulling their weight. Kevin Magnuson, <laughs> not to name any names. Um, Not understanding, understanding the shit-assery that is Pirelli's rubber. Um, yeah. Hassel literally... They couldn't have had a worse season in one respect, but as also it wasn't as bad as when Schumacher and Mazepin were in the car, so there is that. No, it's it's tough because we know there's pace in that car and it's there and Hulkenberg and Magnussen on occasion showed in qualifying what could be done what could be done with it. And it's just a shame that they 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 don't get past three laps without troubles hitting. And that's the story for their season, Haas is car was quick at times yeah you know punching above its weight in the hands of Hulkenberg often in many respects but the tires just failed them time and time again and the one upgrade that they had for this season essentially they were hoping on in Kota didn't work and that led to them running separate cars so to speak separate builds uh, towards the end of the season to try and gain some understanding and I think they're just as lost if not more clueless exiting the season as they were entering it, and that's 
that's a tough place to be and there's more and more criticism for Gene Haas for not spending and getting the money into the infrastructure and all that and they're they're in risk and in danger of falling behind here that's a dangerous place to be and these next two years I think are going to be quite telling as we approach the 10-year anniversary for Haas and F1 they initially had some great showings in 2018 and since then have not kicked on at all it's now we're six seasons later essentially and they've got very little to show for it in in that time and I wonder if two years whether Gene Haas will decide to sell up because we're at a point where you can get at least I think Forbes actually had their valuations at one recently I think Haas is about 800-900 million yeah we had the discussion where they were I sort of said they could ask for a billion and probably end up with about 850 875 something like that um Obviously, Andretti would snap their hand off of that. To be yeah, there's, there's enough. There's enough interest there to have it. So, yeah, this is where we're at. Our house, where it's, it's you're getting close to crunch time. I think it is weird to think, right, that they have less of an idea now about their car than they did pre 2022. They had more of an understanding of what the rules were and how to make a car. Oh yeah. To think now, where the sort of lost in no man's land running two different cars at the end of the season trying to understand what's going wrong it i hope it they break the cycle in 2024 because like i've alluded to previously and i've boiled several the, the last few podcasts to be fair it's the same thing over and over again it's just the one reoccurring issue for them they yeah. cannot not overuse their rear tires I don't know what it is. Well, I'm definitely not going to know because I'm not a qualified engineer. But if I if they don't know, then who the hell is going to know? They need to do some serious digging to understand what they are doing so wrong. I don't understand how. After what? When did this this issue first come to the forefront? 2019. Yeah. So you're talking five years on. By the time we get to this year, how would they if they go in and still have the same issue next year? What? How could they classify themselves and push themselves to go forward? Because I, I, I don't understand how a team of such clever people still not be able to solve that problem. Yeah. I, there isn't another car on the field that kills its tyres like that house does. Not even the most basic car like the Williams. Yeah, it's... It's hard to find answers, and that's obviously the job that Gunter and the team have to try and do over the winter because it's otherwise they are in risk of being left behind here very, very they're, dangerously. They're, they're in risk of being left behind. Gene has pulling them out of F1 or selling them, should I say, or being chopped from the team themselves because that's what's going to happen. If things don't change, changes are going to be made internally. They have to be. And I'm predicting one person goes from one big player from Haas goes. Yeah. This year. Well, that's if things don't go well, Steiner, Rett, I would probably uh, say it's got to go. It's got to fall at either Simone Resta's door or Gunther's door. And then what do you do? Go on your hands and knees and beg for blooming Altmar to come and rescue and save the day. Jesus Christ! What other options are they? They can't really go and steal someone else, can they? No, they have to hire someone who's Bring Bonotto back. Oh, God. Hmm. Look how that went. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, it goes without saying that there's a lot of pressure and a lot of riding on their 2024 uh, as a team. As it should be. They they need to be kicking on, Graham. It's not. It's not acceptable for them as an outfit to be struggling round in last place in the championship. They've, they're an ambitious team. Mm-hmm. I would think. So, hopefully, they can kick it on a bit. Yeah. In terms of the drivers, then, obviously, Hulkenberg made his return to F1 after a few years out up against Kevin Magnussen, who impressed in 2020. In 2022, and Hulkenberg had the measure of him for the most part, uh, especially in qualifying, 15-7 to head-to-head for Hulkenberg. Grand Prix, 13-9, to with Hulkenberg scoring nine points to Magnussen's three. However, Hulkenberg's points scoring finishes came in one... Uh, one Sunday race where he finished seventh in Australia. Magnussen had three tenth place finishes in the season. Hockenberg making up his points elsewhere in the sprint. One retirement to Magnussen's three. Uh, Magnussen actually had better sprint record than Hockenberg four to uh, four to two. Uh, Hockenberg had a better sprint shootout record four to two in his favour. But um, generally speaking, though, like you know the the. The gaps are there, but uh, or, or, so it's closer than it appears. But uh, in reality, the gaps between the two, especially in qualifying, were very, 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 very large. And Hulkenberg made Magnussen look quite poorly, and to the point where Magnussen is under quite a significant amount of pressure heading into twenty twenty four. In terms of one lap pace in the start of the season, uh, Haas were operating with one hundred and one point five percent of the 100 performance percent super time. Hulkenberg uh, across the season, 101.7 to Magnuson's 100, or sorry, 102.1%. To end the, the last six races, Haas were 101.2, so a little bit closing of the margin. Uh, Hulkenberg 101.3%, this is all over one lap, by the way, and Magnuson 101.8%. So still quite a decently sized gap between the two of them larger the end of the season than at the start the start of the season as you can probably imagine with Hulkenberg being you know fully back up to speed compared to the start of the season yeah it's it surprised me I won't lie I didn't expect Hulkenberg to hit the ground running like he did I knew he was good and I like I like Hulkenberg a lot but yeah oh I, I'm the same I didn't quite expect him this. to be this good especially after the season Magnuson had yeah, yeah, exactly. That's that's what sort of shocked me more. I know to get the best out of Magnussen, you've got to have a, a competitive car. That's that's always been the issue. If Kevin doesn't have a, a good car underneath him, Kevin's not a happy driver. And once that happens, you don't get the best out of him. Happy driver, uh, happy car, happy Kevin, basically, wins, wins you big points. Um, But to get slammed into the ground like that, out of a guy that's not been in the sport since 2020, whenever it was. Yeah, well, 2019 was his last full season. Yeah, it's... Um, and he's, like, Hockenberg's 35, I think, as well. Yeah. It's, it's a big year for, for Magnussen. Well, it's, it's, it's this or bust, isn't it? Like, this is it. Like, this is Magnussen's F1 career again on the line right here in 2024. This is, like, this is it. Like, if Hockenberg does what he does this year, then that's it like I do believe between the two yeah. whoever outperforms is likely to stay on and the other one goes and I think nothing I've seen across a whole year sample and that's with Hulkenberg getting up to speed again to start the season 
has uh, Magnuson coming out on top of that situation. This that car is drastically different and suits Magnuson's characteristics more. Yeah, and like we've alluded to, we both know who's going in that car. Things go way go the way that we think they might. Mm. If he gets enough super license points, he already, has, he already has super license points. Let's, let's be yeah, he does, doesn't he? If he's competitive enough, then shall we say top three? Yeah, that's it. I think. And I think it'll be job done. There'll be no question about it because Ferrari will want to get a move on. Yeah, well, it's not even like he's already embedding himself into that team, is Behrman. He's already impressing them in that team. Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? And and Gunther has said time and time again, it will take a uh, a stupendous talent for us to uh, consider taking on a young driver again. And I believe him and Martins are just that. Well, that's what Steiner's always said is like, you know, a Leclerc or a Russell type or a Piastri type. And mm. Behrman fits that profile so far. So, yeah. Yeah. So I, I do think for 2024, obviously big year for Haas for their car, but their drivers obviously they're, think they're competing for one of the two seats. And mm. if the ascendancy is very much in Hulkenberg's favour. Because I think they, will, they won't repeat the same thing with the two rookies with Mazepin and Schumacher and have two new drivers. They'll keep one. They like look. This is a team that didn't change Grosjean and Magnussen for what five years. They like tried and trusted when given the chance and opportunity to, and I think that will be at the forefront for one of their seats. So, who wants it? Go get it. Yeah, yeah, literally. And I think that describes Haas in twenty twenty four. Let's go then back to Mercedes, who finished second in the constructors uh, in the constructors championship. Obviously, an interesting year for them in terms of, from the very start, it was one that was mired with admission of error, really. Uh, they At their launch, they doubled down on their concept and said it was the one, a very striking car, of course. No, the no pods, the return of the black livery. You know, there was obviously, it would be very, coming off the back of a strong finish to 2022, obviously they won that race in Brazil for the reasons, of course, Whoa. that we've mentioned that uh, multiple times. It was the, by far the most developed car of the uh, of the remaining ones yeah. up the front of the field, but they got their win in Brazil, they won two at that, and they believed that this would be the springboard for a return to the form in 2023, and uh, from, well, from, from Q2, really, I'd probably say that was very much not the case. I think they ended up like a very long way off in Bahrain, and after the race... I did not could... have the biggest grin on my face. Oh, no one did, absolutely. Um, and that was an admission then that their concept was wrong and essentially shut down the toilet 18 to 24 months of work. And it involves Mike Elliott and James Allison switching roles and then Mike Elliott leaving the company entirely later in the year. It involved much complaint from Lewis Hamilton about the cockpit position. Yep. Uh, which I believe they're adjusting for... Next season, there wasn't any short of total wolf excuses in many ways and complaints elsewhere, uh, as well as admission that they hadn't done good enough. Uh, just a very, very strange year for them that somehow ended up with second overall. Largely, I think, to them having the third, like on um, the third quickest car for the most of the season, because it just it just changed. Like second place just changed, didn't it? Like it was Aston Martin, then maybe Mercedes briefly. And then McLaren, and then Ferrari almost to end the season as well. 
Yeah, Mercedes definitely had majority of it, though, I think. It was the most the consistent car, but yeah. it was never... Across every single race weekend, it was always... Once we got past, what, say, Australia type, it was always there in the mix for the top three. Always picking up podiums when it shouldn't really pick up podiums, Yeah, to be honest, because it was... As they always do, they pick up the mess when everybody else sort of clowns around and gets things wrong, which has been a lot of teams' problem this year, to be honest. And Mercedes have been good at getting the most out of the result with the car they've got. I will give them that. I don't praise them often, but... I would say that was less that. the case this year than 2022. Yeah, it was, but they were still there when and did well to finish second in the Constructors. Considering, mm. um, with George obviously having an off season, um, Lewis having a decent season, not his best. Obviously, he didn't win a championship or a race. Yeah, it was a good Hamilton season for a, to not win a race and still have a good season. That's in the car. Considering that's not bad. It's just, it, it's just very funny. I'm sorry, <laughs> I, I can't stop laughing at them. It, my my face, seeing Toto's face drop in qualifying in Bahrain was just the piece de la resistance shall we say yeah it's, um, it was good, uh, good for the soul I think ultimately but yeah yeah after all those years of turmoil <laughs> well I think it's just like these last two years have just proved they're absolutely fallible and they've made many mistakes along the way and they're still yeah. paying for that and not everybody's a... invincible that's that's the thing I get from that. Yeah, and that's obviously the the, the 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 you know Red Bull should be looking at Mercedes now and thinking we could easily end up in this situation ourselves and like and that has to be the that, you know has to be the uh, the how they look at it because you know it could easily happen to anyone if it happens to Mercedes it can happen to anyone. So, twenty twenty four is obviously a big year for them and obviously to try and get back to the front. Uh, obviously they're saying it's mostly basically a new car essentially. So that'll be interesting to monitor. Uh, what happens if this season doesn't go well will be interesting. I don't know what, like, because they had so many excuses to Mercedes. Like, it's, the, it's oh, it's the, it's the porpoising's fault. And, you know, like, if it's not the porpoise, like, they've, they're running out of excuses as to their, uh, in, like, their, I guess, their, how do I describe it? Uh, their shortcomings. Like, where, like, they can't hide behind the porpoising anymore. They can't hide behind the side pods anymore what's next like what what's what's the next step here if things don't go well like you, you can't blame the drivers like that's the no, thing but they will that's the type of team they are they won't blame lewis if george has another season like this then they will throw him under the bus that team is full of scapegoats like mike elliott's gone uh james yeah, has been moved around like wolf has on record said that the book stops with him he said that at the start of when in Bahrain, when all this came to the fore, the concept. So, but he's not going to remove himself. So, like, who? Oh, I don't know. If if the thing is, if it goes wrong, and it dramatically falls off to the point where they're not even in the fight for the third place because they've agreed on a, a concept that just doesn't work even more, then um, I would have to imagine Toto's position on as CEO of the company will basically be under threat because at the end of the day he reports to Daimler yeah I know he owns shares but Daimler wants success they're not to, uh, to have their name dragged around in 7th or 8th place 
realistically that's not going to happen but you know what I'm saying it's you, the the logical person to go next would be Toto I don't know who else there nobody is else. that's what I'm saying all the big names apart from James Allison are gone Yeah, well, they, and you they, can't cite James Allison because he's only just been moved around again yeah like Andy Cowell did, it is be, gone and James Fowles is gone. Like Shovlin would be your next would be your next in line or yeah, like, like, like Ron Meadows is hardly responsible for most of this, so Yeah, no, he's just had of trackside operations, isn't he? So or is that Bradley? That's Shovlin. Okay. Uh but like yeah, it's like you're running but yeah, you are like it's you're running out of people here. Like there is it's like a mini Alpine in some regards, except the Wolf hasn't been is obviously gonna be immune from all this, so yeah. They have a very interesting year ahead of them, and it, they're you know as much as I'm interested, like I'm as much as I dislike the team, I'm interested to see how that how that goes. I'm I've got a very interested eye to see how Mercedes do, and if it's not good, then what next? Yeah, literally, what what where do they go from this? Because like, what can they do? Waste another year, regardless if it does go wrong. That's three years, four years of work gone down the drain. Um, so then they've got to sort of reinvent the wheel for a fourth time if they've gone for a completely different concept yet again, which I don't think they will. Surely they've not gone for another random concept that they've come up with. Surely they have to see the logic and just play it safe and have the Red Bull one there, a Red Bull concept as their basic standard concept, and then try hmm. a different concept in testing and sort of split it then fair enough but like what what do they do if, if it is if it does go wrong I don't understand I don't see what they can do yeah it's gonna be I almost want to see it happen, just A, because it's satisfying personally, but B, just to answer that to question, like what, what happens next It'd be such a good watch. Just to see them crumble and be like, what the hell do we do now? We've tried everything and it still doesn't work. <laughs> that would be so funny. So, so funny. Uh, strap in. Drive a line up safe, obviously. Yeah, so I mean... There'll be no changes there. Like, obviously, 2023 was a good year for Hamilton. Uh, he won the Grand Prix head-to-head 15-7. to uh, They split the, the qualifying. The only pole. Of course. Yeah, they split the qualifying eleven to eleven with Hamilton getting the only pole in Hungary. Six podiums to Russell's two. Uh, three times he finished in second uh, for Hamilton. Uh, four fastest laps. Uh, yeah, uh, one sprint podium to go at that as well. Again, it was a good year for him, and even in circumstances that weren't ideal for him with that cockpit position. So it'll be interesting to see how he. Uh, he's obviously still an elite driver, so give him the car to perform, and he's there's nothing mm. to say that he won't. Esteban Gutierrez is the lead driver. What are you talking about? <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's Russell. It's, Hamilton are not too concerned about. It's Russell who needs a big 2024. He finished... He does have the contract, like, but... Yeah, but mm. just, like, he finished... Uh, what, oh, hold on, Matt. He finished... Hold on. Uh, no, no, I'll, hold on. I'll get this. He, uh, that's, that's well, yeah, that's 100. So that's... 59 points behind Hamilton in the standings. Jeez. That's a lot. And that include Now, Russell had four retirements. Uh, now, one of them was, of course, Australia. Got to go. 
so that he was in a good position there. He crashed in Canada. He had another crash at some point in the season as well. I can't remember what exactly what race that was. Uh, Hamilton only had two retirements. Uh, one was actually includes his qualification. The other, of course, he crashed into his teammate. So, guys, looking ahead to twenty four, then George Russell. I mean, he just put plain and put simply, he just needs a better season than, than last season. Like that, that he can't be the eighth driver out of that group of eight minus uh, Stroll. <laughs> just that that can't happen again because he wasn't even close to the. It's not. It's not even that he finished eighth and he, he was unlucky to fall out like Sainz did at the end. But like he wasn't even close to that gaggle between fourth and seventh. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I don't mind him being eighth. It's just got to be in the conversation. He's got to be within like 10 points, not like 40 not points back like he was. Yeah. yeah. So I know 25 is not that far, realistically. It's, it's a couple of races, but this season he wasn't up to par. There were two podiums compared to his teammates, six, or whatever it was. Yeah. It's not up to standard. I know the car probably didn't suit him as much as it suited Lewis, and that was a common thread throughout the season. He just he didn't look comfortable with it, and just didn't seem to get the best out of it. Whereas Lewis did, um, even with Lewis, like say, being in the compromised seating position, still managed to do better. Uh, I know Russell's safe, but if he has another poor twenty twenty four, then. Surely conversations have to be had about him being a fraud. Depends how poor. Yeah, at the end of the. If it's the same as the same as twenty twenty three. I don't know. It's it, it, guess we'll find out what kind of season Hamilton has. Like if it's like if it's a comparison to this Hamilton season, then I don't think so. But if Hamilton is has another step in them, and it's like a, for example, like an eighty point gap or so, then yeah, we might have to start asking a question or two. Yeah, yeah that, that that's the thing. It it worries me for George's career because it might end up in an Alpine in a couple of years. So, <laughs> okay, imagine if imagine if he was the one that ended up in the McLaren and and Norris and the Mercedes. Yeah, jeez, could happen. Could happen. Uh, but yeah, I think with Russell though it was tough because like when he was honest, he was as quick, if not quicker, than Hamilton. It was it was very strange at times. His, yeah, yeah, his fluctuation in form. It was like that last year as well, though, wasn't it? When he's on it, he can be quicker than Lewis. Mm. It's just, it's very rare. Well, it was last year anyway. Um, but this year, sorry. My God, my my years are all over the place today. <laughs> the, uh... you, you know what I mean? It's it's very, like I say, it fluctuates so much. He just needs to be consistent. That's all. Yeah, well, I'm it's... okay with him being average if he's consistently average. Yeah, it's the, and it's more so we're referring to the race pace more so because in qualifying, like yeah. you know, we're, talk, we're looking at the super he's time percentage. Day. Like you know, the Mercedes is 105 percent, Hamilton one hundred point seven, uh, and Russell one hundred point eight. Like it's it was tight between those two, as you would you know imagine with you know, eleven eleven split in in uh, hmm. in the head to head. But yeah, just Russell needs that. Uh, needs a, a step up or hopes that Hamilton take a step back and uh, make him look a little bit better than he actually than he actually did. Is there any thoughts yeah. to have on Mercedes before we move on to our next team? It's a big year. That's that's my main take. Mm. Big year with um, if they get it wrong early, expect them to bow out of development of that car very early. They won't make the same mistake again developing the car to try and save it 
I don't think. There might, there might be one update at Spain, and if that all fails, then, yeah, that's it. Goodbye to the uh, W14, uh, I it'll be. This is, the, the 13... this is the 15, though. No, whatever it is. I don't know what you yeah. mean. <laughs> I don't fucking know. I know the W11 was the good one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyways, let's move on to turn to Alfa Romeo, who are ninth in the championship. They, I mean, I mean, were they there? I mean, I didn't know until this year. Technically, yes. Like, again, it's not like Haas, where like there is a, you know, like oh, they were there and then they fell back and all of that. They just were never there. No, and it's it's followed the really the trend since the beginning part of the 2022 season. It's been very stagnant. It's been they have no team principal currently. They. Just yeah. got in James Key during the year. So there's lots of stuff on the horizon for them. The Audi thing obviously is coming, but for now they're kind of rudderless to an extent. They have a team representative. Despite the fact that Andreas Andre Seidel is CEO, they're, they're, they have a team representative in the Luna uh, Bravi? Ruby? Uh, whatever his yeah. name is. So very weird for them. They did continue to upgrade the car continually, uh, if just very, very slowly. Uh, so they were running upgrades towards the end of the season. Their pace did get better to the end of the season but it's all relative at the end of the day isn't it like they were closer to the front than they were at the start but other than that I mean there's not they just like look they just need a complete overhaul like and that's what their next next year's car is like there's there's not even a point getting into their 2023 it happened they, their best chance was with Joe in Hungary and then that start issue derailed him and that was really it so they couldn't even get a chance to, uh, to convert a uh, position into into much of anything so it's all about 2024 for them. Brand new car, uh, so they say. New name. New name. James Key will have some input on this car, but not all of us. So we'll Whether that's a good thing or not. <laughs> well, we'll find out, I suppose. Uh, he made some good Toro Rossos, to be fair. but He might have made a good McLaren. We just don't know. Well, we'll never know. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, with Al- Al- or, sorry, it's Sauber rather heading into 2024. Look, it's... I mean, you say that you, you can't get too much worse, and you can't. You can't get too much worse. So that's optimism, I suppose, that you can have a better season. Uh, in terms of their... I, I, don't, I, don't, I have nothing else to add for them as a team. I literally have nothing to add. No, I, I was just going to say, I'm expecting them to be the slowest team next year. Ooh. We've different just opinions on the basis, this. Just he has to show promise of pace if they can sort their tyre issue out I think they'll be fine that that's a big if <laughs> Alpha, yeah obviously Sauber will have a new car concept so it might be different but based on what I've seen in the last couple of years that car just doesn't it doesn't fill me with confidence and the outfit to be honest it just doesn't fill me with confidence either they need, they need a TP. Yeah, they need badly. someone to start selling someone, this project because who are they selling to, to to begin this Audi movement for 2026? Like, it again, this it's a big year for them in that regard. Like, are they going to get a driver in for 25 that is going to be there for 26 on this Audi? Same with the team principal. Like, you want these people to be at least embedded a year beforehand. And, and the, the thing is, I expect them to. Someone will be put in charge this year. There has to be. They can't go into 2025 and still not have a TP. You can't go into 2026 and not have one, surely. Unless they, they're basically calling their team representative the same thing, but I know it's not as a, as a team principal, because he doesn't really call the shots. Andreas does. 
Hmm. Uh, to be honest, I would like to see Andreas have a more hands-on approach. I would it? as well. He's only there for a handful of races, and I'd like to see him there every track until they get the team principal in. Whether that was his way of assessing the situation this the, in the year just gone? Maybe, maybe. And then he puts himself at the forefront to direct that project from 2024 onwards. Fair enough. But then again, the original plan was for him to join in 2020 for 2026. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the thing. But it all got bumped up. Yeah. So, and he started the domino effect that yeah. we had last year. So it's... I don't know, man. It's it's all over the place, isn't it, really? With regards to how they're going to actually run. Uh, and we know what it's like with Alpine, with all them being all over the place with management-wise. If they haven't got someone to focus on and report to, really, it's not really going to work. Yeah. Um, which worries me, because I, I do like the Sauber outfit. I, I always have had an, a little bit of a soft for, spot for him, especially since the uh, Patronus Sauber days, anyway. Oh, yeah. I did like the the blue blue Salbers blue with Massa and Raikkonen and Heidfeld. They were very nice. Mm-hmm. Many a happy fond memory playing the F1 games on the PS2 with those liveries. Mm. Enjoy, but and I enjoyed BMW too. Yeah, yeah, same. But with regards to their driver lineup, we've battered the drum several times already. It's not new news. I think we both fully expect at least one new driver for 2024. Uh, 2025, sorry. Yeah, certainly one, if not two, depending on, again, how, what their future vision is like. Uh, Bottas and Joe, not a lot to split them, to be fair, in the season. No. Uh, 10 points to Joe, for Bottas to Joe's sixth. 12-10 uh, in Bottas' favour for the head-to-head. Uh, in qualifying, 15-7 to seven when it comes to Joe. Uh, Bottas' best finish was eighth twice, where Joe has got three P9s. They both had three retirements. Joe had a fastest lap, which I don't remember where that occurred. Um, yeah. Bottas had four points finishes to Joe's three. They're both equal in sprint head-to-head and sprint shootout. So quite even in terms of that. Uh, I do think the main thing that separates these two is qualifying. And Bottas can still somewhat get the job done in qualifying, whereas Joe has had a mixture of bad luck and not getting the lap hooked up. And him starting out of position has been pretty killer for him. And the one time he did start in position, the hungry, it all went to shit. They meet off the line. So... That's the thing. If Joe had better qualifying, he would be ahead of Bottas. As it happens, he is not. I do think his race pace is actually pretty strong. It is. Uh, he didn't really kick on much this year compared to last year. That's the thing. Like you can look at his rookie season this season and say it's relatively the same. And I, I, you know, I think that's. I could have perhaps told you that, or maybe did try to tell you at the start of the year that, that like, it's, what's the ceiling? What's you know, like again, it's it's he's got a good floor, but like, what's the ceiling? And that's that's my mm. that's, that's what I'm talking about with the ceiling. So where is he? So the same question I ask now of Joe for 2024 as I do for 23 is like, how does he kick on? The answer this year was not very much, and the clear path he's got to do better in qualifying does show. Uh, I think he's got a good. Sh- if he can do that, if he can hook up some qualifying pace, I think it puts him in good stead in the head to head with Bottas. But as it stands, like we know Bottas could pull out some good laps. We've seen him do it for Mercedes, time after time. He can do it, and he has done it for relative to that car, which isn't great, as we uh, as we know. So that's Joe's biggest thing. Is there anything on Guan Yu Joe you'd like to add before we move on to Bottas' side of things? He needs to have an average season at least to even save his possibility of an F one an F one career. Never yeah. mind to see Alfa Romeo. That's uh, average at Alba. best. Yeah, 
sorry, it no, sorry average or worst. Yeah, it needs to be average or worst. Like, there, I, I still maintain there's a chance at Williams. I've always sort of battered that drum, but more than likely we'll probably end up in a Formula E or WEC. So, yeah, probably more WEC if anything. Yeah, we'll see. So obviously, it's a maker. We talk about make or break years. You know, Guan Yu Zhou is near the top of some of these lists. Like it is, it's a big one. It may not even matter in some cases with Zhou. Like we, they may have already decided on their lineup, and it may be both new drivers. It may just be one new driver. Yeah, it, it, like you say, if it is decided, then why haven't they done it earlier? Well, this is the <laughs> thing. Like, if why continue, and that, that's, you know, if you're going down this route, then why? If you know who you want, then. Whether that be a Djokovic or a Porcher or whatever it is you're wanting to do. I mean, if you're not putting in... Are you just wanting to get the Chinese Grand Prix with Joe once in three years and then that's it? Uh, it feels like that's what, we're, we've, what we've been gearing towards this entire time. It just hasn't happened yet. Yeah, imagine if it doesn't happen again. Yeah, well... That would be funny. That would be funny. But I think that, that's got to be what we've been waiting for this whole time. I, I do think maybe... Like, it has to be, yeah. Audi must like who's who do you think is on like this thing like I don't, I don't spend too much time speculating this but like who's on Audi shortlist like I don't and are they available and if so why not like I I you know I I, I it don't has know. to be signs has to be Lando obviously yeah yeah those two for definite an outside shot of Ricardo just because of his name and who he is hmm. and then you have to think German drivers. Obviously, Hulkenberg was mentioned. So Hulk, Mick, but maybe. I doubt I doubt Hulkenberg would really be in there because of his age. Yeah, um, but I think he would go if the opportunity presented itself. A German representing a German team, of course. Um, one last shot at the big leagues with a big team, and then yeah, like you say, Mick, and I can't see that happening. No, I don't either. I, I think he's going to stick out with Alpine and Wack. And then you've probably got a handful of juniors that aren't ready yet. No. Or ones that are already existing that they don't really quite fancy now anyway. So it's like, well, you ain't getting Lando unless things go really wrong at McLaren and he doesn't get snapped up by Red Bull, Mercedes or Ferrari at that point. Um, the only realistic one is Perez or Science. And even then, Science is a stretch. Yeah. So, aiming for Sergio Perez, lofty ambitions there. <laughs> yeah, potentially. Uh, unless they stick it out with Valtteri Bottas, of course, uh, who was the other, oh, God. other driver. And Bottas' start was really, really bad, but he quietly had a pretty solid rest of the season, especially afterwards. I thought he. Yeah, it's, it's funny that. Uh, when his calendar came out, he came good. <laughs> I know. So the motivation. <laughs> motivation. He was distracted by the photo shoots. He couldn't. Uh, that's what I mean. Couldn't concentrate, but I thought he was quietly solid. Just again, the, they're both good on race day. It's just they had nothing really to fight with, uh, which is unfortunate. Uh, and they were pretty evenly matched as well uh, in terms of the, the, the season, at least. Uh, you look at Alfa Romeo, you know, 101.7% for the team, 101.8% for Bottas, 102.1% for Joe. Uh, last, last six races, though, really kind of de uh, demonstrated the problems Johan qualifying he had a few very compromised sessions like Vegas for instance where he was a victim of the Verstappen Ocon revenge um, <laughs> and things like this uh, so Alfa Romeo were 101.2% in the last six races over one lap 
Bottas 101.3 and Joe 101.9. So a bit, bit of a bigger gap towards the end of the season there. But it, it, I don't think I don't know if that tells the story between the difference between the two, the two in qualifying, but it does tell a story. I think that Joe has struggled in qualifying, and that's that's the big thing for for next season. But Bottas I think has been quietly solid, and um, but continues to be a solid measure to measure a teammate against. Yeah, average at best. Yeah, so about us basically. Whether you bring in Djokovic or Porsche or whatever, then you have a solid baseline as to uh, as to uh, how things line up in that state of affairs. What's right? Say you're Alfa Romeo or Sauber for 2024. Hmm. What's the more attractive lineup? Valtteri Bottas and Guan Yu Zhou or Djokovic and Porsche? That's easy. It's Djokovic and Porsche. Yeah, it is for me as well. But, uh, More exciting, anyway. Probably cheaper. You don't have to pay Bottas a salary. Well, yeah, definitely. And you're bringing I, something I think, in. I think Drogovic would race for fucking free at this point. <laughs> yeah, many would. I would, actually, as it turns out. <laughs> uh, I'm not free. I want my food paying for, at least. <laughs> well, it comes under the cost cap, don't forget. <laughs> Our uh, final one for this episode, then, is going to be looking at the Alpha Towery situation. Now, uh, Yay. this gets messy. So, Alpha Towery, as, as a team, Alpha Towery, look, obviously, they, they start off as the slowest team on the grid. They, somehow. Yeah, somehow for the second year. So in to a my row. shock, it, it, somehow that outfit had the slowest car. It was, yeah, well, it was a surprise given their form yeah. the last 10 years <laughs> uh, they started out with Yuki Sonoda and Nick DeVries uh, Sonoda was one of the best drivers in the field in terms of like outperforming his machinery early on in the season fighting to a few points positions and a few P11s in the same breath uh, Nick DeVries on the other hand struggled to adapt to life in Formula 1 became increasingly desperate and ended up being shafted and outed after the British Grand Prix after uh, Ricardo's test with Red Bull after the British Grand Prix. In came Daniel Ricardo, who was there for one practice session in, or sorry, for one, sorry, two races and one practice session in the Netherlands before breaking his hand, avoiding Piastri's McLaren. In came Liam Lawson then for five, four races, five races, five races. Yeah, in the end, and then Ricardo returned then to end the season for AlphaTauri in an improved AlphaTauri, which went to go on to fight for seventh in the constructors, but ultimately just fell short, despite a season best result for Sonoda then at the last. So, obviously, quite a tumultuous year for AlphaTauri, the team, because not just the stuff on track, obviously, off track, as you've You've mentioned that, you know, France Tostand uh, is, is leaving for Lauren Meckes and Peter Byers and coming in as CEO. So, a lot of changes at AlphaTauri in terms of on the track initially, now off the track. So, yeah, a year of reflection for them. Uh, ultimately, what they're accomplishing as a team is hard to say at the moment, other than now it just becomes... Well, now Yuki's auditioning for everyone up the grid for 2024, and Ricardo's yeah. auditioning for Red Bull. And there you go. And that's that's AlphaTauri's stakes, for whatever they're called, for 2024 is... Those are your two dynamics, and then it's just Mekis and Bayer then in their first years trying to establish whatever it is they want to establish. Literally. I, I don't know what they want to establish, like, but I think they need to push themselves forward because, like we said, I think we're quite confident that that team can finish 7th or 6th if they get it right. Mm-hmm. But 
I, I don't know. I, I'm. I think Yuki will be okay, but I, I don't know if I'm bored with the Ricardo hype train. You know. I wanted, I wanted, wanted to see a kick on after Mexico, and it didn't quite really do that. Mexico was a good show, but I think it was circumstantial. The car just worked. Seemed, Fine. yeah, seemed like. I know they they had some good performance later on after that, but yes, it seemed he was, like it. He was nowhere near Yuki. A level of Yuki in Abu Dhabi, nowhere. He was cl he was close to the points, but Yuki was comfortably in the points. So yeah. I, I I don't know. I I I wouldn't be sold on Ricardo leaving that team immediately just yet. But whether he will like next year's car more, and he, because he'll have more chance to get used to it, he might get on with it better, and might his performances might come on, and under different leadership, like you say, with Peter and um, Lauren taking new approaches and fresh ideas that might help him come back to life even more I don't, I don't know and I'm clutching at straws at this point like with Ricardo because we've batted this drum four million times but I, I want that team to succeed because you're very much in that crowd of they're a good outfit yeah. I am and obviously with the Red Bull link up which is going to cause four million times of controversy throughout the year I think they can really produce something special whether it comes off that way, I don't know. Yeah, like it can go one of two ways, kind of. I can see that position, but now the position I've had to be look at the last two years is that they've not got these rules right and they've been towards the bottom. And that's been the weird thing for me to adjust to is that they haven't been that same outfit the last these last two years and they have up to the the eight or so before that. So, yeah, the, it'd be interesting in that in that sense. So it's a very interesting situation. Obviously, they have a fresh rebrand. So a chance to start fresh, you know, they're both, both drivers are going to be auditioning for drives, so it's going to be very interesting, the dynamic between the two. But uh, other than that, like, I don't have a ton to say, because it was hard, like, it was the teammate stuff, like, you know, you, Sonoda performed everyone that was in front of him and was shafted in the time Lawson was in the car. And I don't think, Lawson, I think, ended up getting overrated based on his performances be only because he didn't have any real points Sonoda to compare to between the, the did not start and Monza and uh, the whatever the, the shaftiness that happened at Suzuka that they kept Sonoda behind Lawson for inexplicable reasons uh, the, the the dubious penalty that uh, or maybe potentially dubious penalty that Sonoda got in Zanvoort and the such and obviously Lawson crashed in at Qatar so yeah, yeah I'll give Lawson some props for the situations he was thrown into did better than I thought he would but like you say, it was out of context. Like in comparison to Sonoda, yes, it was completely out of context. So, but uh, he, uh, considering I expected him to be a lot worse than what he actually was, well, I would take. I'll take it. I mean, for him. looking at the super times in qualifying, for instance, there's a clear weakness to be had. Uh, he was never good in qualifying in F2. To be fair, mm. never ever super. He was always better race pace wise. Uh, the team itself was a, for the season 101.6%, Sonoda 101.8, Ricardo 101.9, De Vries 102.1, and Larson 102.7. Yeah. So quite a big gap then even from Larson to De Vries. Now, obviously, 
uh, De Vries was unfortunate that he never got the car at its best, whereas Lawson and Ricardo had the better stages of it. And heck, that's even what outshone Lawson over Ricardo in some regards, because when the upgrades started really r- racking onto that car when Ricardo was out, and Lawson had a nice big benefit of that as well. So that made things look worse than what they actually were on Ricardo's side. But uh, yeah, f- look for Snowden again. Look, we're just looking for the consistency that he showed this season, um, and just try eliminate those Mexico type mistakes out of the equation, and he'll land somewhere on this grid. You know, another season like this one, he'll land somewhere. Yeah, there'll be someone that will take him on. Aston Martin is obviously the one that gets linked the most because of the Honda tie-up in the future. So, and obviously Yuki being a Honda driver, it would make sense. I, I don't know if I'd have Yuki as the number one driver. That is no. definitely not. But as a solid number two, one hundred percent, I'd take him a Ferrari as a number two if it was offered to me. And I've got no. If it was Charles and Yuki, I'd be okay with that. That's fine. Interesting. It's not perfect. It's not, no, like, you know what I mean? Like, if someone says to me, you've got the choice between Bottas and Yuki, I'm taking Yuki every time. Yuki has got raw pace. He just has immaturity in his driving. That needs to come out with experience, and it will come out with experience. Hmm. Just like Max has did. Um, He's from the same mold as Max, so, like, it would just, I think, like like I say, the Aston Martin C is the perfect wave at him to get out and express himself as a driver and grows himself he need the best thing he can do for his own career is to leave that Red Bull program or Red Bull family should I say hmm. well it's happening I think at the end of this end of, yeah, end of yeah. For sure. I, I will be baffled if he's still in the Red Bull family now if he is then he's going to Red Bull right mm-hmm. well um, because he's not going back to racing balls anyway. No. So if he's stopping in the Red Bull family, he's going to Red Bull. There's no two ways about it. Yeah, but he's going to have to comprehensively outperform Ricardo for that. Oh, he's going to have to slam Ricardo into the ground and somehow come up with a deal with Red Bull where they're happy with him being the number two. And even then, I think he gets slammed into the ground by Max because he's not that... He's... he's a good enough driver there, he's just not an elite level talent. Mm-hmm. That's that's the difference. Whereas Ricardo can be an elite level talent. Right, we're gonna have to, again this is what Ricardo's twenty twenty four journey is, is to find out if he can still do that. Can he produce those performances? Yeah. Can he can he sell Red Bull this pen? Essentially is all he has to do. And if he can he's literally he's put he's himself in. in the shot window. Now he's got to sell himself pretty much. It's it's going to be a big ask, I think. It, a very yeah, big ask. Absolutely. Because there's going to be a lot of pressure on him. Hell of a lot. Um, and a lot of people watching him. And bombarding him. And I don't think he does well with people bombarding him. Because that seemed to what sort of was didn't help with his demise at McLaren. Um, well, it didn't help with McLaren. It was just there was no end in sight. Like No matter what he was, he tried to do. There was nothing that was working and I think it yeah. feels a little different this time with AlphaTauri like it, this. It, it does yeah it so, does feel different and so, I think the the run of having a full season in a car would do him a, lot, a world of good as well yeah absolutely and not uninterrupted by injury yeah. etc and jumping in midway through yeah this is very very slow <laughs> well well done uh, 
But that's good. Just wished him good luck. What do you mean? <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but then there's five teams down. And next week we'll cover the remaining five. And the new year. The real ring in the new year with those. Yeah. So the teams we'll cover uh, next week will be Ferrari, McLaren, Aston Martin, and Alpine, I believe, are the teams. And Williams, of course. So... A lot more exciting variation of teams, shall we say. Yeah, absolutely. So, oh, Great start to the new year. Absolutely. So on that note, uh, thank you very much for uh, listening with us this week, uh, on this Wednesday when you'll be hearing this. Uh, I've been Graham. I have been Yuki Sonoda's agent. Oh, maybe in for a good year, potentially. We could be. I could be in for a big bonus. Maybe. Maybe. And, and I'm talking about my package. <laughs> uh, We shall see you next week. Goodbye.